Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name is Boston, pronouns he, him. And the other co-host, Lyndon, pronouns he, him. So today we wanted to talk about truth and reconciliation uh, more generally because just a few days ago was Orange Shirt Day and I think I think it was the second ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So, I mean, that is a big topic, but we have some, some stuff that we want to talk about. Absolutely. There's been so many, uh, well, some powerful days, really, that have gone together. It's hard to know sometimes which adjective to describe those things. There's mourning, uh, there's reflection, there's some confession and repentance, for those of us who are Christian. Um, and as we saw in the South Island powwow, there's, there was some joyful representation among indigenous nations there dancing and such. So it was really a whole spectrum of emotions that get covered. Yeah, it, it, it always feels difficult, you know, I, I don't uh, where, where I'm from, you know, I grew up where powwows are a plenty <laughs> and they are almost always a time of, of celebration. And so it is a difficult balance between like, you, you know, you're there, you're listening to the music, there's like vendors and food and all this kind of stuff. But then the real reason that we're there is for Orange Shirt Day or, or you know, yeah, to mourn the victims of residential school. So it is a, it's a weird balance between the two, celebration and mourning, like you said. And I think what struck me, um, the South Island powwow was held at Royal Athletic Park uh, in near downtown Victoria. And it just struck me like the scale of it like how many indigenous people were in one place, which we almost never see in on the island, at least, right? Other parts of Canada, that's more common. Um, but that was something that struck me was how many people were on this one ball field and the scale of indigenous representation and dancing and traditional dress. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite breathtaking. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, songies started putting that on every year just because I don't know I missed powwows a lot <laughs> and that's because it's not really a, a coastal thing to do um, you know how, what we think types like a powwow is more up on the prairies and so yeah I'm, I'm glad to finally get to go back to a powwow um, yeah so something that I find interesting as well um, is back home you know, I feel like the, you know, we're talking about indigenous representation at the powwow, but also like the non-indigenous representation is very, very, very high here. I guess just because we're in the middle of a city and it's mostly non-indigenous city. Um, but I, I, I remember growing up, like if, if you went to a powwow in Peace River, Alberta, you did not see a lot of non-indigenous people, you know, like it was maybe... Uh, there's maybe a few here, there, or, you know, like there to, I know, I remember when I got, so I was gifted an eagle feather when I graduated. Um, and, you know, like in that, that time, like my girlfriend, she's non-Indigenous, she came out and her family came out. But that, like, that's about the only non-Indigenous people you see. Like just, there's a few that are there to support a, a friend or a loved one or something like that. Um, 
And so that always strikes me. I mean, always. We've only had two South Island powwows so far last year and this year. But that's oh, that was sort of on the forefront of my mind both times. Like, there's a lot of non-Indigenous people here. And it's very, it's. I mean, it's good, but it's very surprising to me, to be honest. Right. Well, a sea of orange shirts yeah. as well. That was um, part of that. So I can imagine, yeah, that also being an overwhelming yeah. uh, thing. And, and it is in a stadium, and there are there is seating yeah. for those who wanted that. A lot of people just walked around. As you said, there's vendors. But it's it's a long time, so some people sit down. So there is a kind of spectacle aspect to it, too. There can be, yeah, given that dynamic. But it seemed to be overall quite positive yeah absolutely and I, and I think and I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing <laughs> yeah I'm it's good that because that's kind of the whole point of why they put the powwow on is you know for this national day of truth and reconciliation for orange shirt day and so it's really for everyone to come together and like we said like kind of I, I don't know toe that line between celebration and mourning together right and maybe then just super important as non-indigenous people like the kind of tone we come to it with some humility with being invited into this space yeah and at least thankfully i I didn't witness anything that seemed odd or off there was a lot of security uh in that which was probably a good idea to have it well regulated there were two entrances i was very well well run in cooperation with the city and and whoever was helping put that on yeah absolutely um and then something that i so you came to victoria uh around the time that i did what year did you get to victoria again 2018 about something like that okay because i that's what uh, so i know that every september we do um an orange shirt Sunday at our at Lutheran Church of the Cross, um, but I have not been going to Church of the Cross the whole time I've been in Victoria. How how many would you say have you have has Church of the Cross been doing it the whole time that you've been there, or just over the last few years, or what? Um, that's a good question. My memory is not crystal clear on that. Oh, no worries. I know we have been inviting Carolyn Clausen for a number of years to come lead the liturgy, and she puts that together. Uh, as a student at Vancouver School of Theology in the Indigenous Master of Divinity program. Um, so grateful for Carolyn for doing that, and this year with uh, Bishop Kathy Martin, and then you joined Carolyn with smudging. Um, so it's been a number of years with, with Carolyn leading that, and before that, I'm not sure what, the, uh, what it looked like uh, for sure, but there would have been... As long as there's been an orange shirt day, I think there's been some form oh, okay. of that. Yeah, I did. I just was wondering for the, the time that you were you were here, but yeah, that that's a, also another sort of we talk about this like towing the line. Um, but it's 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 always a bit tough, just because again, you know, the reason that orange shirt Sunday is a thing is to mourn the victims of residential schools. And then in the same vein, it's always like, I don't, I don't know. It's not, it's, I guess it's sort of similar to joy. It's a joyful feeling to see, um, 
you know, in indigenous practices incorporated into the worship and kind of, you know, all, all inter intermixed throughout. Um, I always, that's, you know, I really appreciate that every year about, about Orange Shirt Sunday. Um, and I, I think that that's also an important sort of part of reconciliation because not only, I, I feel like it educates, you know what I mean? It allows an opportunity for education for congregants who maybe have never had much experience with those sorts of practices before. And they get to do it in a way that they get to experience them in a way that, you know, they're, they're being invited and they're being educated. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And I think we do try to strike uh, a mournful tone and start with that kind of confession piece, lighting uh, 215 candles in honor of the kids who didn't get to come home from the residential school in Kamloops that that symbolic number that was revealed a couple of years ago um and the cantor was singing the song 215 honoring honoring those kids and it took a it takes a bunch of time to light 215 candles and i realized as you know we're so used to doing things very orderly up front i thought oh this is chaotic you can't light 215 candles quickly and you have to find room to put them on this prayer wall we set up at the front and you realize okay this is just making space uh for prayer and reflection and the kind of weight of the moment at least for me kind of settles in in that through the music through the prayer um lighting actual all 215 candles um so i think it was important that we took the time needed and to have Bishop Kathy lead some time with kids as long as that took and like pictures of kids at residential schools that were put up around the altar area. Um, so uh, not trying to uh, uh, ignore what it, what the day is about. No, absolutely. Sorry, that's it's you know, it it is a tough topic. It makes you sort of. I I noticed I had the first uh, and we do these welcome words, and we are rushing around so much getting a hundred things ready for that, and then the first time I stood still was saying those welcome words and I couldn't, I could hardly read them, yeah. and then you realize oh, that's <laughs> why we're that's why we're doing all this. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that it was a, you know, just a longer time with more time for prayer and reflection, uh, a bit more moving pieces, things going on. We don't fully know how it's all going to fit together until we do it, which is also part of that, embracing different traditions and wanting them together. And then this year we, we had a feast with salmon, which was quite special. Um, to have a large barbecue and be able to prepare salmon for like 75 people yeah. immediately after uh, worship. Yeah, and, and I, I feel like I've said toe the line too much already <laughs> in the last, like, I don't know, 
12 minutes but um but again you know when we were sort of wrapping up and and carolyn's talking about the meaning of the feast and it's sort of it it, it does both right you you come together in in a form of almost celebration or or sort of happiness you know you don't just sit around eating like not talking and just look, looking at your food but at the same time the purpose of it is to mourn so it's there's a there was a lot of sort of that both well i don't want to say that's a charged phrase these days <laughs> both sides but it really i mean in this context i think it's okay to say that it is really you know about both both sides yeah, we're not, one of the sides isn't denying that residential <laughs> schools uh, existed or were bad. No, so no, no, not that kind of both sidesism. Um, yeah, and in thinking about regionally too. So there's, we've talked about South Island powwow. There was our gathering at Lutheran Church of the Cross in Saanich. Uh, I got to attend an Orange, Orange Shirt Day celebration at my kids' elementary school, which was powerful, and the vice principal is an indigenous woman and we're able to lead some drum circle things and some times of silence and share some words and it was meaningful to to have a whole school of elementary kids together is no small feat just to get them to stand in a circle and sort of pay attention for for that length of time um and then thinking more regionally we're trying to organize a bit uh as a Lutheran church at the BC level, the group I've been part of at the BC Synod, ELCIC, that's Lutherans in Canada, here in BC, um, we've been a need to get back to organizing a bit more. It's We have a fairly small church in BC and everyone's asked to do multiple things. So sort of which pot gets stirred on the stove before getting moved to the back and another one gets stirred. So, yeah. um, but it's good that we're at least thinking in terms of how do we build up indigenous voices within BC. Yeah, how, how long have you been part of that? Um, a couple of years yeah. between two different bishops. <clears throat> I think what stands out is how few uh, indigenous voices there are for Lutherans in BC between you and Carrie, there might be a, a couple others, but in terms of folks we've had the privilege to work with in Victoria, then mainly you two, and there's some Anglicans, a couple Anglicans, some are retired. Um, so that also is revealing in terms of lack of representation and why why that is like what are the reasons we we haven't been fostering indigenous leadership in the church yeah it's uh that's an interesting question because i don't know <laughs> i don't know i haven't been here long enough to to know the history of things but um i mean on the island you feel it as you said you walk into the south island powwow and well there is in way more indigenous representation than it, pretty much any other time during the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also not just predominantly indigenous people there. Yeah. So 
um, feels like, yeah, I guess a learning, learning edge, growing edge for, uh, for the church and maybe things we could do differently that would lead to different outcomes. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just because I because I know the Anglicans have a lot. I mean, so I think I've, I think I brought up on some, one of the first couple episodes, but, um, sacred circle, which is, uh, fully autonomous indigenous church that's sort of i don't i don't know if it's appropriate to say they're part of the anglican church they they are part of the anglican church but they kind of but again fully autonomous um but i wonder if that's because of the size of the anglican church to compared to the loot because i know um for example this summer i got the opportunity to go to the national i can't remember one of them calls it assembly and the other one calls it convention i think the lutherans call it convention and the anglicans call it assembly um and it was almost a bit funny to see like the difference of numbers that were there like the lutherans there was like 90 voting members and the anglicans there was like 380 and it was like because there's just so many anglicans in canada and not a lot of lutherans so i want i also wonder if that has something simply to do like just because there are a significantly smaller number of, of Lutherans in Canada especially that's probably part of it and then just the colonial histories of each of the churches yeah I mean the Anglican Church would have been an arm of when it came over as the Church of England as part of British colonial power and as a result also has a lot of lands yeah in every province and territory that was part of that kind of colonial push throughout the land. Um, not that that gets Lutherans off the hook no. by any stretch. Is we just kept, um, uh, it was a lot of uh, European immigrant-based churches that were sort of looking after their own a little bit too and weren't necessarily building bridges all the time. Yeah, um, That is part of there being less maybe indigenous presence yeah, it's been, and I because I know um I know the U.S. sort of counterpart the ELCA I say the ELCA has a quite a I would say robust indigenous community and and does a lot of stuff. Um, I forget. Oh, now I'm gonna forget. They they have a, a certain a, a movement, especially right now that they have, and I can't remember what it is exactly called. I don't know if you're googling it really quick or what. Yeah, I know which one you mean. Yeah. I mean, there is a wing called Indigenous Ministries and Tribal Relations, but I think yeah. you might be talking about something more specific than that. But I think it falls under the same sort of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's a larger church, larger organization. Yeah, they have way more people than us. <laughs> um, but I, I think that also is a good reminder that it, it would be good for us sometimes to build bridges when there are literally like millions of Lutherans next door to us in the U.S. Yeah. And we don't, apart from a, attending things like Festival of Homiletics or various kind of speaker series that Canadians sometimes go to some of the bigger f kind of progressive Christian festivals that typically are held in the U.S., um, we don't all have a lot of relationships. Like what about relationships with Lutheran churches 
um, like close to us in Washington State. Like it, basically that national border, such a strong dividing line. Like you think about Seattle and, uh, and beyond. Like we are physically closer to the San Juan Islands and parts of Washington State than we are the rest of Canada yeah. and we are to Vancouver. And there are, are indigenous groups over there in the Pacific Northwest in the Cascadia region. So that I always wondered. Uh, I, I had that sort of on the back burner and then COVID happened and then like everything shut down and no one traveled and whatever and time marches on. But it's still, I think about how we would f possibly foster relationships with Lutherans in other parts of the Pacific Northwest with whom we share some other cultural markers. How do you think, wh how do you think, what, what would that look like in your mind? Um, I think one would be just building relationships and sharing stories that we talk about feeling small and isolated in BC. Um, and it's not bad that we look east to then build bridges with Lutherans in other provinces. That's also important. Um, but it would also be important, I think, to form, build bridges with other progressive Lutherans in the U.S. that are close to us and with whom we share mountain ranges and watersheds. Yeah. So if we think about care of creation, that could be a common binding thing that, hey, we, we want to protect the Salish Sea together. What, would, what kind of witness would that look like? Lutherans in Washington State and in, on the island and in B.C., protecting watersheds together, things like that. I think that could be really powerful yeah. witness, but somehow that national border is is huge, right? Yeah. It's not very often you have some some acquaintance saying, Hey, I'm in I'm on the San Juan Island. I'm I'm literally a kilometer offshore from you or a mile offshore. I didn't bring my passport and there's currently no ferry going direct to Victoria um, but you know good to send you this message and yeah I thought that's kind of a pity <laughs> that it really is such a stark division yeah. border wise yeah. that you literally could get in a kayak or a sailboat and get over there in not that much time but there's no passenger ferry no. and so it just at least not currently there has been um Things like that. So that's that's an impediment, but we could build relationships also over Zoom and yeah. uh, without it solely based on in-person gatherings. That would be tricky. Yeah, I I think that's a great idea. I am um, I'm actually so I have uh, sh well she's she's a Lutheran pastor, but she is a pastor at an Anglican church in. Uh, and I'm going to get it wrong. It's Ontario, generally, I'm going to say. I think It's either Ottawa or Toronto, but I think it's Ottawa. Um, and she's invited me um, next month to speak on a Zoom thing that, yeah, is like based in Ontario, but I'm all, all the way over here on Vancouver Island. And the two other speakers, I think one is in Australia right now or something like that. And I think people from all over Canada are going to be joined. So it's like, it really is a, uh, yeah, it, I think it's a good, a really good resource. Now, now that we're in the age of zoom, you know, where it makes everything yeah. so much easier. Why, why not use it? 
Yeah, so those things have become easier as a result. Uh, I, you know, we talk about Zoom fatigue, but for for there being too many like daily meetings, but special gatherings like that can okay. really be phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's a uh, well, that's good. Let us know how it goes. I will absolutely. And so, I guess shifting the conversation from a BC specific or Victoria specific um, lens, I guess talking about truth and reconciliation nationally, um, I know some uh, some big news that just happened. I think this morning or late late last night um, is that uh, Wab Canoe in Manitoba is the first ever First Nations Premier of Canada. It was just voted in um, part of the NDP party. Um, and to me, I mean, I, it's not it's not a faith focus, but it's a fantastic step in the right direction in terms of reconciliation in my mind, um, sort of an example from somewhere else in Canada. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what you, what your thoughts are on it. Um, yeah, I was pretty excited to see the outcome considering, um, we've been having sort of a wave of fascism waft across Canada and at an alarming rate. And we saw, a lot of hateful rhetoric and laws springing up, like the anti-trans uh, law in S- Saskatchewan, or rather like the way they were uh, uh, forbidding public schools from sort of celebrating gender identity yeah. and letting kids uh, use their pronouns and, and offer them various safeties and protections. And Manitoba looked like it was with the incumbent government was wanting to go in that same direction. Yeah. So you see when populist governments feel like they're gaining momentum by fueling hate, then the others take notice and say, well, I'll do that too. Ontario, they were dabbling in that. I don't know where that's at now. Manitoba's looking at it. And New Brunswick's already gone in that direction. Saskatchewan's going in that direction. And so it was pretty frightening to see the provinces kind of falling like dominoes. Yeah. I bet Quebec has its own weird hate yeah. uh, with anti-Muslim, anti-Sikh, anti-Jewish laws forbidding certain government employees from wearing head coverings. So you have a kind of hate-filled populism in the majority of Canadian provinces. And so this was, to me at least, felt like an opportunity to disrupt that yeah and for the premier to be the first first nations premier in Canadian history is significant and 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 said quite openly um look this this uh approach of peddling hate uh isn't going to win here and in fact lost quite badly so i think that kind of uh, put some wind in the sails uh, as we look about organizing. So it's a huge win for Manitoba, but it's also a win across the country. And to think about one of the first things he said, we are going to search for murdered women in the Brady landfill 
something that the incumbent government was said we'll never do it, mostly to bolster its base. Yeah, May, had billboards like we stand firm and say no to the landfill search. Um, that was very. I I found the last few months in Canadian politics um, generally have been quite scary in that sense. And I think we do need to look at that through a faith lens as Christians, not saying we're imposing our faith upon uh, the political spectrum, but that when we talk about justice, what else are we talking about than people organizing together and coming up with solutions to problems? And we do that at political levels. So while we're not going to endorse parties or interfere with elections and things like that, we definitely do comment on outcomes and work towards solutions together. So when we saw all this hate rhetoric building up and then the 75-plus hate rallies on September 20th, that was quite alarming. It was the kind of stuff, like, I, I mentioned it to a friend in the U.S., and he said, wow. He said, I can't even, obviously a lot's falling apart in the U.S., but he said, I couldn't even point to a single day where we had 75 hate rallies in the U.S., which is 10 times bigger. So um, the hate-filled voices, as chaotic as they might be in Canada, are quite organized. Yeah. And sometimes I think we um, underestimate them by saying, oh, look at these QAnon conspiracy theories. They have no basis in reality. None of this makes any sense. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? They're organized and they're they're getting stuff done yeah. and organizing a base. So when any time that could be disrupted, as it was in Manitoba, is a reminder of there is people power to turn the tide against hate. So to me, that put that puts a lot of wind in the sails for organizing for both in, um, anti-racism and then also for the trans-affirming issues that are ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, well, talking about the last few months, yeah, it's, it's like very gut-wrenching to, to see the fact that, I mean, you know, thank God that she wasn't voted in, but yeah, again, like to just to see a, a political candidate who's, you know, turned her whole platform into, and and you know in in the debates and stuff like specifically targeting Wab Canoe being like, why would you subject you know people to this dangerous and expensive search and like her her whole entire platform by the end was basically like systemic racism and and laughing in the face of issues like murdered and missing indigenous women girls and two spirit people and. I was real scared yeah. <laughs> that she was going to, that was going to um, work for her. Well, it is a, a kind of fascist trick when you've basically at that point abandoned building anything, right? Cause yeah. you're not saying we'll fix healthcare, we'll support schools, we'll make sure the roads, sewers and water is okay. We'll support our universities. You're not doing any of those things. We're going to combat climate change at that point. That's just the attack mode thing where we're just going to break things apart. Right? We have no ideas. We're going to let what we have crumble. And we're going to peddle hate because we have no ideas and we don't plan to fix anything or build anything. 
just want to hold on to the power. We're just going to hold on to power and we'll do it through hate. And that's the fascist playbook. And it can be effective in the short term. Uh, and then like eventually stuff just breaks down and stops working. Um, but at that point you've got more you know, increasing chaos that it can be hard for people to organize against it. Right. Cause if you don't have healthcare and education and infrastructure supporting people's daily lives and for businesses to run for people to have livelihoods, um, they're not going to have the time and the energy. It's like asking a very sick person to join a fight or something like we, you know, we got to say, we got to save society collectively, but like very sick people aren't going to have the energy or the resources for that. Um, So I think that's, that's part of that, just that pure power and just waiting for things to fall apart because there are no ideas. There's no real promise to make anything. Other the rhetoric is there, make whatever great again. Like you'll hear that nationalist rhetoric, but there's never any results. Nothing gets better except for extremely rich, privileged people, typically tax cuts, things like that. Um, So it's always like real short term stuff. So anyway, I think as Christians, we do have an obligation because care of creation, we do want to solve address the climate crisis. We do want to listen to indigenous voices about how do we protect water? How do we protect land? Um, So any voice that says we're going to tread on all that, we're going to trample it and destroy it. uh, Yeah, that's dangerous. And the, the longer we just let it slide and say, oh, well, they have some wacky ideas and they have some weird conspiracy theories. That's a distraction. Right. Don't don't just get fooled by distraction. These people have other aims. Um, so, yeah, wind in the sails. Let's organize. Let's build a better society together. Yeah. And that's part of our mandate as Christians as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's. Uh, yeah, it. Yeah, anyways, I won't won't go anymore into politics. We don't have to talk about politics anymore. But um, I I was so I was wondering, so we we have a little bit of time left, maybe sort of wrapping up talking about, you you know, we've looked at an example of of political sort of change uh, in that way. Um, Now, what we think that sort of the either the national church or the capital C church as an institution, what we think they could do, we could do, because I guess we're, we're part of it either way, um, to bolster and to strengthen truth and reconciliation. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of grassroots movement type stuff. So I think the more partnerships we build locally, and then serve on those committees at the Senate or national church level that can kind of trickle up uh, in that sense. Um, Like as church structures are diminished, where there are fewer staff in our synods and national church, there's less 
of there being full-time staff to take on a lot of those roles. So I think it really increasingly becomes a grassroots approach that we build up those relationships and best practices and then we can share them as we're invited to share in these other ways. I feel that that's probably more effective than just sending an email criticizing someone with too much on their plate to say, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you put out that message? Or why didn't you do whatever? I think more like, would you like help with crafting a message? Would you, could you use a hand if our local group contributed in some way or one of us served as a go-between or something? It's more like asking, what can we bring? What can we do? Uh, as opposed to saying, um, hey, why didn't, you know, why didn't you do this very specific thing for which you have no capacity to deliver? Because uh, we know church structures in the mainline church are just continually diminishing for the most part. We're not typically adding new positions. Um, and so... Yeah, I think we can look at it differently and things like this podcast and blogs and creative gatherings like what that Zoom call you're joining, like how can we join broader based conversations in the wider church with increasingly with fairly inexpensive, you know, tools like online tools like we're doing right now to get a message out there. But we have to build relationships with those people so they know we exist and that we want to work with them. Yeah, something that I have noticed both sort of Lutheran-specific and also ecumenically, which is a fancy word, which is just kind of a cross-denomination, I believe it means, just kind of, you know, relationships between, you know, Lutherans, Anglicans, Catholics, all that. But it's, it's almost like there's a fear of like taking the first step of reaching out. Like I, I have noticed in a few gatherings and a few things, groups that I've been a part of, it's like, you know, well, we really want like an indigenous voice, but they don't take that first step to just be like, like, you know, to say, hello, we are here. And like you're saying, we want to do this work with you. I mean, we, uh, we hope eventually to get national bishop susan johnson on the podcast that's right and something that she did just recently was went to camp brady herself with other church leaders and i think that kind of like i'm like that's great you know to have that sort of take that first step in in building that relationship um but i feel like it's it's uh you know church as an institution i feel like it's not done enough no, I don't. I don't think that's a new thing. No, and uh, as frustrated as we might be about certain things, I also don't know how productive it is to dwell on that. <laughs> right? We can be. I think any kind of institution, whether it be a university, a church, uh, a health unit, whatever it is, it's going to have a certain amount of stagnation, yeah. lack of creativity lack of uh, resources devoted to things that need to be lifted up, that's just going to be the case. Um, 
And there's no shortage of those voices who will bring the critique, but we'll, how can we both, we can bring a constructive critique while also being willing to do the work. So I think that's where building a podcast platform and we are at a university campus radio station where we are working with different levels of church. We are working with campus ministry that we're building actual relationships and we're doing that and people yeah. will see the fruits of that. You might not like everything we say on this podcast. No. That's fine. We don't even remember everything we say on this podcast. No. Um I'm glad we're not releasing episodes from five months ago anymore and that I actually remember what I said last week yeah. at least. Um, so I think that think of it in that productive sense. And the more we just put out there, instead of asking for instead of asking for the church to create a platform for us, we've we've created a platform yeah. through partnerships with the church, with a campus, with campus ministry. So just take what we got and that's good enough. And we start there and then who knows what new thing will come. Because if all we do is dream about the future of a church that isn't the way we'd like it to be, it's kind of gets boring yeah. after a while because it just goes in circles. Yeah. So, but what, what can we do? We're doing this. That's exciting. And you always know how to bring it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah absolutely i i completely agree um and uh, just looking at the time i think that is a a good place to end it um again good full circle ending um thank you for listening we are happy that we're getting episodes out there and pe it seems like people are listening i don't know how many people we don't know the stats of how many people but i see comments and and hear what like i was driving my car la so every thursday at 11 we're on live on cfuv radio um and some people have approached me in the last couple months like what you know, I was driving, like, I think it was last Thursday or something, and all of a sudden I just hear you and Lyndon's voice on the radio, and it's like, they're like, and, and I, so I stopped and listened, and it was really good. I'm like, okay, so if people are listening, that's pretty interesting. I, know. I It's hard to imagine, to be honest. I'm like, I don't know if I'd listen to it if I was not on the, uh, but it's, I'm, we're grateful that you all are listening, those of you that are. Right, and we're just going to get better and better. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we want to give our thank yous to CFUV, Campus Radio at UVic, yeah. for giving us the space and partnership for this. We thank uh, Inclusive Christians and Multi-Faith UVic. Important to have the Multi-Faith Partners at the University of Victoria. Uh, we're thankful for Lutheran Church of the Cross, where I serve as co-pastor and Boston as a leader there. Um, we're thankful for the BC Synod. It sponsors some of our campus ministry activities. Um, I think those are the the main ones. And then for all of you who are who are listening, and as we're building this up and learning how to use podcasting equipment and making some sense, so we're thankful for for all of that. And you can get in touch with us. Um, you can find me at uh, lutheranvictoria.ca. My contact info is there. And Boston, do you have do you have any handles that people can reach you at? 
my most public social media, I would say, is my Twitter, probably. And it's just, like, my name, like, Boston underscore L-A-F-E-R-T-E. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.